0: Hey y'all, um, I am Brandy Grant, and I'm a little nervous, so I wrote all my testimony down here, but I don't think I need it, but I have it in my back pocket. but um, I just wanted to share my story with you guys. I grew up in the church, so I, was, I, I think my story starts off like most or some people 's story, but um, my dad was a preacher, and um, so I you know I've been in the church for for all my life. Uh, when I was 17, I told my parents, I want to be normal. I want to be a normal kid. And so I said, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm done with that. And so I, they reluctantly said, okay. Um, and so for three years, I partied and was a normal kid, and I was unhappy. you know. Um, so I realized pretty soon into that journey that it was temporary fun, but it wasn't fulfilling. I, at the end of the day, I was still empty. I still had... I still had that hole. And so I um, I knew, you know, you know what you're missing, but you, you just fight it, you know, just fought it. I don't want that. And so uh, I was discussing this with a friend of mine. Um, I was about 20, and she invited me to church. And I said, oh, no, no way, no way. I uh, don't want that. And um, she's like, oh, just come. So I came. And I listened to the service. I don't know what it was about because I wasn't really paying that much attention. But at the end of the service, there was an altar call. And it was one of those altar calls where, like, almost everyone comes up. It, was, it must have been a good service. I should have paid attention. But uh, so everybody came up and was on their knees and everything. And I'm still sitting out there. And I remember saying to myself in that second, I'm not going up. No matter what, I'm not going up. And in that split second, I was standing in a field. And... I looked around, and I'm like, what? what, what?" There was a big fence running next to, kind of dividing the property, and I noticed there was people on the other side. And I said, you know, I'm like, okay. And I saw Jesus there, and he's gathering up his people. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the rapture. So I start screaming, and I'm like, wait, you know, I'm coming. I'm running over to the fence, and I start to climb. And he turns to me, and he says, no, you can't come with me. And it just broke me into pieces. And I said, no. I, I'm screaming and I'm climbing frantically on this fence. I'm, I fling my leg over and, and he looks down at me and he puts his hand out. And he said, no, I'm sorry, but you can't come with me. And I, there are no words that you can describe the devastation that you feel. I, I, it, there, there's nothing. It was... Total annihilation of any hope, any, any, um, anything I had. And in that split second, I'm sitting back in this pew. And I jump out of my seat. And tears are streaming down my face, and I just book it to the front. I'm stepping on people. I'm pushing. I'm, I don't know. I don't know, because people were getting up off their knees at this point. And uh, so I, I made my way down to the, to the um, altar, and God met me there. He met me right there. And he swooped me up and he saved me in more than one way. And my life was so changed in that very moment. That was the day that I fell in love with Jesus. He just totally, totally, I had never seen, and I, I'm sure it happens, but I had personally never seen a transformation like my own where I got up and I was a new creature. I mean, I was walking different. I was talking different. You know, I was thinking different. My desires were different. I, I mean, I totally dismissed everything that my life was before. And I started, started anew. And he opened doors for me to be able to travel around with our youth group and to sing, and I'm not a singer, and to talk in front of him and give my testimony. Um, and so that really has been an amazing journey. And since then, I've fallen down, and he swooped me back up. And I have fallen down, and he swooped me back up every single time. So I just thank you. I thank God for allowing me to tell my story to you guys.
1: Amen, amen, amen. Brandy, girl, I don't know that I got to preach. I think you just did it. I think you just did it right there. That was a wow. Wow, good stuff. Um, Brandy, that was, uh, was so good. Guys, we're studying the book of John. And uh, this morning we're going to be in chapter 6, so I want to ask you to open your Bibles, turn there. If you do that on your phone, click there, whatever you've got to do to get there. Uh, we're in John chapter 6, we're going to read about some good stuff. And um, we're studying this book, and, and we're doing it kind of a different way than some other people doing it. And we're doing it a little differently because of why John says he wrote the book, right? And so um, John says, uh, can we, Michael, can you double check these lights that come in and out or off again for these poor folks over here? There we go. Uh, old building people old building lord 's going to change that uh, so uh, so here we go. Um, So we're we're studying the book of John a little differently and the reason why we're approaching it differently is because why John wrote his book. And so in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this. He says, but these are written, these words are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the whole gospel of John was written by the apostle John for this reason that people might come to know Jesus, that they might might believe. And he's saying, listen, all these stories All these testimonies that I've collected for you are so that people might believe in Jesus and be saved. And so, kind of said, that's how we're going to approach the gospel of John. We're going to study it. We're going to look at Jesus' interactions with people specifically, because those are pretty unique to John. And we're going to look at these stories, and we're going to learn two things as we look at these stories. Number one, we're going to learn more about the character of Christ. We're gonna learn who God is because we're gonna hear people's testimonies. John's like, I wrote all this. This is a great big testimony of, of, of how Jesus really is the son of God, how he really shows up, how he really changes lives. And so, so that's the primary reason we're studying. But we're also studying uh, these stories in the book of John because we can learn something from them. And, and, and my, my hope and my prayers we went into this thing is that we would all walk out of here learning. We all have a story to share, right? If, if we have seen God, if we've encountered God If we know Jesus, we too have a story to share. And that's the great thing about our testimonies on Sunday morning is you don't have to get up and be an evangelist. You don't have to get up and memorize the Roman road. That's not everybody's call in life, believe it or not, but we are all called to be witnesses. And a witness just gets up like Brandy just did and says, this is what I saw. This is what I know. This is what God has done for me. And so my hope and my prayer is that as you hear the testimonies, as you hear the, the stories that we study, that God is stirring up within you a desire to start staring, sharing your story as well. And if you have that, email me this week, all right? Shoot me an email. Hey, hey, Pastor Jason, I'm, I kind of was moved by that. I, I might want to get in on that, okay? Now this morning, uh, our story is this, Jesus is going to do something amazing. It's so amazing that it's recorded in all four Gospels, and it involves a little boy that has a little sack lunch, and uh, he's just got a few barley loaves. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is is what Jesus does when he encounters this little boy with five barley loaves and two fish. Pray with me before we jump into the text. Okay, Father, thank you for loving us. Um, We thank you for your word, God, um, which we know is true. We know that it's living. We know that your word is active. We know that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. God, we know that. Father, we know that it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And so we come before you now opening your word to say we want that. God, we want to be taught. We want to be rebuked. We want to be corrected. We want to be trained. We want to be righteous. And God, we know that that's impossible on our own and by ourselves. And so... uh, Jesus, if you would meet with us now, we ask that you would send your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would um, not just be in our midst, but you would be working inside uh, our chest. We pray that you would teach us from the inside out the Word of God. We recognize that you are the teacher of this church. And so we, we pray that you would lift up and exalt Jesus Christ this morning in our midst, and that Jesus, as you are lifted up, that you would draw us closer to yourself. That's what we need, God. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. 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 Um, Well, we're going to continue the tradition of breaking the tradition of reading not very much scripture. So I, I told you guys, when you go to seminary, they tell you, uh, they give you a few helpful tips. There's a whole lot they leave out. Um, but some of the things they say is when you preach, don't ever read more than so many verses because you're going to lose your people. I just don't believe that. Um, and I think this morning, what we're going to, re- we're going to read 35 verses together. And maybe you have heard uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and you have held that apart from then Jesus walking on water and then Jesus showing up and preaching the next day. They're all meant to be together. And so we, we can't get the fullness of what's going on if we don't actually study the text in that way. So I I don't care what your verse markers say or your paragraphs or your subheading. This is kind of the way it happened. And so we're only going to read 35 verses. I want to encourage you. The story goes on from there. So go home when you leave this place and read the rest of it. But John uh, 6, 1 through 35, and the word of God says this. It says, after this, Jesus crossed the sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick Jesus went up uh, on a mountain, and he sat down there with his disciples. Now, uh, the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. And so when Jesus looked up, and he noticed the huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have just a little one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Now that is, I wanna, I wanna tell you, I love Andrew, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna struggle throughout this, uh, th- this time this morning not to just preach about Andrew. Uh, th- this is one of the greatest statements of faith I, I find in the New Testament, right? I mean, Andrew, like, Jesus is like, how are we gonna feed all these people? Andrew's like, well, I got this little boy. Like, this is a great moment of faith followed by a complete collapse of faith. Okay, all in the same sentence. It's all in the same sentence. There's not even a period. I mean, li- listen to it. I, and I love Andrew. I'm just saying, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, sister, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. Like, he brings him to Jesus, like, hey, you're the man. And then he says, but, you should have stopped, Andrew. Just a, put a period on it. He says, but what are they for so many? Right? Then Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over um, by those that had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. It's, they were thinking about Deuteronomy, the one that would come like Moses verse 15 Therefore when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king he withdrew again to the mountain by himself when evening came his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum darkness had already set in but Jesus had not yet come to them a high wind arose and the sea began to churn and after they had rowed about 3 or 4 miles they saw Jesus walking on the sea he was coming near the boat and they were afraid but he said to them it is I do not be afraid and they were willing to take him on board and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading the next day the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat they also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone off alone some boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, ready? It's a good question, by the way. What can we do to perform the works of God? It's a good question. You should ask God that. And then you should hear his reply. It's in the next verse. What should we do to perform the works of God? Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. Amen. What sign then are you going to do so that we might see and believe in you? They asked. Hello? Yesterday? You think of the short-term memory we have, people, Right? That's what sheep have. We have short-term... Well, what sign are you going to do? I don't know. I just fed all of you with five loaves and two fish. I crossed the, the lake without a boat. I don't know. What else do you need, right? Verse 31, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this is a reference back to verse 15. Uh, or not 15, but uh, verse 14, where uh, they, they recognize that this is the prophet, the one that would come like Moses. So they're saying, well, hey, if you're the one that came like Moses, where's our food? Where's our food, right? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. I love it in every gospel. I love the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of my favorites because apart from Jesus' resurrection, this is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. It was very important. It had a big impact on the original apostles, on on the disciples, I should say. And so... Uh, It's had a big impact on me. And there's so many good lessons we can learn here. Lessons that we don't have time to to talk about. You know, like that when you eat with Jesus, there's always leftovers, you know? That that, uh, the Lord supplies so that we can serve, that that we should never underestimate the power of invitation. You think about Andrew, who invites his brother Simon Peter to come to Jesus, and then he brings this little boy. And and you think about what God can do when when we actually get out of of our comfort zone and and invite others into the presence of God. Uh, There's this great story when you combine them all together that the same God that, that provides on the shore often calls us into the stormy sea, right? A lot of times, uh, Christians don't want to hear that part of the testimony. The same God that did the great miracle on the shore is the same one, that, and it doesn't say in John's gospel, if you read the other gospel, Jesus told them to get in the boat and to cross over. He wanted them to go into the rough seas, right? Okay, so many good things, of course, we end up Uh, with Jesus then talking about him being the bread of life. And so, so many great lessons. Uh, Again, this morning, what I want to focus on is Jesus' interaction with this young boy uh, and talking about what we can learn from his life. And so, just two things, two primary lessons this morning. Here's the first, okay? Ready? Uh, God can do a lot with our little. God... Can do a lot with our little That's the first lesson I want to share with you this morning. I, I think that's what this 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 story screams is that God can do a lot with our little if we're gonna properly set the scene, um what we would see is a whole bunch of people whose tanks are running on empty. Anybody identify with that this morning? You don't see it in our initial reading and just in John's gospel, but if we were going to read Luke's account of the same story, what we find out is that the disciples have just returned. Jesus had just sent them out uh, to drive out demons and to preach the kingdom of God and to heal all of the sick in the area. They had just come back from the longest mission trip uh, in, in the early church. And of course, the church doesn't exist yet, but these are followers of Jesus. They've just gone out and they have wasted themselves on the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever been in those situations uh, where you have to pour yourself out constantly, ministering to needy people. Um, but but it, it is exhausting. And so they come back and they are exhausted. Jesus sensing their exhaustion says, "Hey, let's withdraw away to a place." They they go to withdraw. And what happens? Man, the crowds follow them, right? The crowds see Jesus, they follow him. And I don't know if you're blessed enough to have one of those jobs that seems to always follow you home, right? But if you're that person, you know how tiring that can be. You have given everything that you had, you are finally back at home, and people want more. And so you kind got to imagine that it's not just this little boy that has just a little to bring, but the disciples themselves have very little to give to Jesus as well. And so that's what happens, uh, Jesus withdraws the, with the disciples, the crowd follows, the text says it's 5,000 people, it actually says it's 5,000 men, that means just the head of the household is all who was counted. It means easily if we were to include the women and the children, it could be 12, 15, <clears throat> 20,000 people, easily, that Jesus is going to provide for. And so Jesus, knowing what he's going to do, he asked Philip a question. Some people why did he ask Philip? Well, Philip is from around this region. And so he say, hey, Philip, where are we going to get the food uh, to feed these folks? And Philip does a little quick math. I don't know, maybe he was, uh, you know, it wasn't Judas. You notice Jesus didn't ask Judas. Hey, Judas, we got any money? And she was like, nope, I used it all. Uh, but so he goes, hey, Philip, how, what do you think it's going to cost to feed all these people? And Philip does a little quick math. He goes like, Lord, listen, it would be 200 days wages of a good man's wage. It'd be 200 days of hard work's wages just to give them a snack. He says just to give him a little, that's when it would take two hundred days of a hard man wages just to give him a snack, and that is when Andrew shows up with this little boy. Andrew shows up with this little boy, great, great statement of faith. Lord, here's a little boy, he's got five loaves and two fish. Now, when you hear five loaves, don't think of H E B. Uh, big loaf, okay? Um, by the way, and, and they're barley loaves, which tell us uh, something about the boy. Um, so think more. Um, if, have, who's ever had the big Slotsky sandwich? Has anybody ever had that one, the big one? Okay, after eating the big one, have you ever gotten an, a, a regular? You know what I'm saying? Like You're like, what, what, what happened to my sandwich? I, I had this one time and then I got this. And so this is more probably, it was probably a very small circular uh, a loaf of barley and, and five of those and a couple of fish. And those fish, um, most likely bait fish, what we would think about as bait fish. You casted your net in shallow waters, maybe kind of like a sardine, very small kind, kind of fish would have been probably pickled, uh, you know, something like that. And so that, 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 this is what the, the text says. Now, barley was the, the grain of the poor people in Jesus's day. So I want you to see this. This is just a poor little boy. Um, he just, just got a little bit there, right? And, uh, and Andrew brings him to Like I said, I could preach on Andrew all day, but, but here's what I want you to see about this, this, this young man, this, this little boy. Ready? He has very little to give to Jesus. This little boy has very little to give to Jesus, all right? And don't forget about the disciples. They, too, have very little to bring to Jesus. They are worn out. They are they're exhausted. And, and, and look what Jesus does. He, he tells them, right, tell the people to sit down. And so they, they, the people sit down, and, and then Jesus takes the little bit that, that they, they've provided. He takes the, the loaves, and he takes the fish, and he begins to multiply them, has the disciples pass them out, right? He begins to take a little that was there, and, and he multiplies it. He multiplies it. And so, uh, this is not just about a boy that has a little. It's not. It's about a boy that has a little. It's about some followers that have just a little. And and the lesson that Jesus wants to teach his followers, remember, uh, his followers are often his primary audience, his disciples. He wants to teach them the same thing he's teaching this young boy, the same thing that he teaches time and time again throughout his word, which is this. God can use a bare cupboard, right? God can use a bare cupboard. Jesus uh, takes this little lunch and this tired bunch and he multiplies what they bring, right? The lesson is is that, that God can do a lot when we have just a little left. And this little lunch and this tired bunch end up filling up anywhere from 12 to 15 to 20,000 people and get this there are leftovers, right? It's awesome. It's awesome, awesome, awesome lesson. So, so that, that's the first lesson I want you to see is that God can do a lot with our little, okay? Second lesson is this, um, that Jesus is God's true provision for life. Jesus is God's true provision for life. And so I wanna draw your attention to something that's unique in the Gospel of John, and it's found in verse four. I've got it up on the screen here. It says, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. You can read the other three accounts of the feeding of the 5,000. John is the only one that draws attention to the fact that this happens at Passover, Right? This happens at Passover. He does that on purpose. And of course, we know Passover was a big deal for the Jews. Passover is when they celebrated God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. You remember that story. The back story is that Joseph, uh, his brother, sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He uh, says, listen, there's a famine coming. You're going to have seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. Pharaoh, if I were you, I would build up storehouses. I would save up all the grain. Pharaoh says, you're a smart dude. I'm putting you in charge of that project. And he becomes the second in all of command. Eventually, uh, Joseph's brothers and his father run out of food. They're hungry. They they find out there's grain in Egypt. They come to Egypt. Joseph will eventually reveal himself to his brothers, say, hey, go get dad. We're moving here. And And Pharaoh is so favorable to Joseph that he gives him the choicest land in Egypt to settle his family. It is in Egypt that Israel becomes a nation. It is in Egypt. Let me say that again. If if you ever get wrapped up in nationality, I'm thinking that that's about a location, no, it is in Egypt, a foreign land, that Israel becomes a nation or a group of people that are known for what they have in common. Okay, so that's that's where that happens. Now, then Pharaoh dies and then Joseph dies and a new Pharaoh comes into power and he looks around and he sees there are way too many Israelites or Jews in the land they're living in. He says, man, if they were smart enough to figure this out, they would take over our nation. So we're going to enslave them. So he enslaves them and mistreats them. And the people of God cry out to God, God, why did you send us here help? The Bible says God hears their prayers and he sends a deliverer. His name is Moses. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh after God twists his arm a little bit and says to Pharaoh, uh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And and, and God tells Moses, well, tell him I'm going to perform these, these signs. I'm going to send plagues upon their nation. And so there are 10 plagues. The last of them is the plague of the firstborn, right? Where every firstborn in Egypt is going to die. And so God says to Moses, anyone that believes these words of mine and will take a, a perfect Passover lamb, and he's going to call them a Passover will take a perfect lamb and will, will sacrifice them and take their blood and put it over their doorpost, then I'll pass over that house and their firstborn won't die. And so that's what the Israelites do, of course. And there's great mourning and loss in Egypt. Pharaoh loses his own child. He says, get out, I'm done with you. But then he gets angry. He pursues them, pushes them up against the Red Sea. And that's where God steps in and parts the sea so that they could walk right through it, right? And that's a foreshadowing, by the way, of what Christ will do for us on the cross. When we sing that song, right, we sing that song, you, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. That's a foreshadowing that Christ, when he died, split the veil that separated us but, but between us and God so that we could walk right to God so that we can have a relationship with God again. That's what he does. It's miraculous, of course. God delivers them for a purpose, and that purpose is the promised land. You guys remember this? They get on the edge of it. And they say, let's go send some spies to check it out. And they get a little freaked out and they are afraid and they do not enter the promise. So what happens? What happens when they don't enter the promise? Do you remember? You remember? What would they do? Wander. For how long? 40 years. So here they are in the wilderness. Life is tough but God provides. And what God provides for them is his own kind of bread. It is not any kind of bread that they can make. They're in the middle of the wilderness. Uh, They can't farm here. That's not agriculture here. So God provides manna from heaven, bread from heaven, right? And so what John is saying is, is these two things are connected. And so what, what Jesus does is, is he takes this bread, this barley, and he multiplies it. when he gets to the other side of the lake and the people come and find him, and they say, hey, we think that you're the one. We think that you're like Moses. It's Passover time. They're thinking about Moses, okay? He says, I know that you're thinking about Moses. And, and then they say, Moses gave us bread. And Jesus is like, that was my father that gave you bread. And by the way, he wants to give you better bread. He wants to give you bread that'll last, bread that you won't be hungry the next day coming to seek after. And so he says this, listen, I am that bread, right? I am that bread of life. And what he's saying literally is I am the true provision of God for life. Now in your notes, you'll notice that I use the word true and then the capital word life. That was not a typo because Jesus is not talking about feeding our stomachs. He's talking about satisfying our souls. You see, (laughs) Jesus performed the miracle so that he could preach the message. And the message is, I have what you really need for life, true life. See, guys, the Jews had settled. They settled in the wilderness. They settled for less than what God had offered. And guess what? They had settled here too. They were not seeking God. They were seeking outward religion that they could have control over. And Jesus comes to them and says, no, real life is about me. It is found in me. All right. Those are the lessons that we learn. Listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm just dumb enough to believe that the little boy that brings his sack lunch and watches Jesus feed 10, 12, 15,000 with it, 20,000 with it, I believe he was on the shore to hear those words as well. So I think these are the two lessons we learned from the little boy. Now, what do we do with that? All right, so I'll give you some application. I'll let you go. Number one, I think when we study the life of this uh, little boy is, is we learn that we need to come to Jesus with our little. We need to come to Jesus with our little. And so I ask myself this question um, all week is, why, why, why wouldn't somebody come to Jesus with the little that they have? Right? Why, 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 wouldn't, why, why wouldn't everybody and was it, was it only this boy that had a lunch? I mean, out of, out of 20,000 people, this is the only dude that had anything? Why wouldn't we naturally come to Jesus with our little? And so I came up with two reasons. Two reasons why I don't, I don't think we come to Jesus this way right? And, and and by the way, when we don't come to Jesus this way, we miss out on the miracle of his multiplication, which God is always in the business of multiplying. He takes the little that's there and he multiplies. And so you may remember the story of, of Elisha and there was a widow whose husband had died and 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 her husband left her with great debt. And so she seeks out the prophet Elisha and says, um, prophet, like I'm, I'm going to have to sell my children into slavery. I don't know what else to do. And he says, what do you have? And And, and her reply to the prophet is, all I have is just a little oil he says, go get every jar in the city. Go get every jar. But, but I, I mean, can you imagine that one? What are you talking about? I said I have a little oil. Go get every jar in the city and see what your God is about to do. And, and she begins to pour. And it just keeps coming and coming and coming until all of the jars that she could locate were completely full. She sells them all off. And, and she is free from that financial obligation. Listen. Listen, God wants to use people like you and like me. And he doesn't want to use the people that think they have too much. So here's, here's the two reasons I think we don't come to God. Number one, I think some of us don't realize how little we have. <laughs> okay? Some, some people in life don't realize what little they really have. They look at their life and they say, I'm pretty successful. I'm pretty talented. I've, I've done pretty well for myself. I'm, I'm okay. And they kind of they take account. They say, well, I don't need to go to God. I'm good, right? I'm good. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud. And so not only do they not get God's multiplication working in their life, right? They actually have God opposing them, which scares me scares me. Some people are going to say, well, I don't know. There's a lot of rich people. It doesn't seem like God's opposing them. That's because the majority of stuff going on in the world, you can't see. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. So I just, I, I'm just going to say this. So I think that one reason we don't come to God is because we don't realize how little we have. The other reason, I think this may, may, may speak to a lot of you here this morning. I think a lot of us don't come to God because we do realize how little we have. A lot of people have convinced themselves that they have too little for God. I don't, I don't have anything to give. I mean, I, I have really just a little talent. How many people uh, hear people like, like our, our praise team sing or play instruments and you think, oh gosh, that's that so good. Anybody else? That's so good. I'm not like that, right? We, we hear people speak. Man, Brandy, she, she killed it this morning. She'd be like, Oh, man, she spoke, I can't speak in public. I can't, I can't do that. You, you're somebody quote Bible, uh, you know, scripture they, they've memorized. And you're like, Oh, man, they are so good at that. I'm, I'm not. I just don't, I don't have anything to give. No, you do. You have a little. You have a little. In fact, you have just a little, right? Both of those people, the, the people that think they have too much and the people that, uh, think they have too little. Both those people miss out on the miracle of God's multiplication in their life. God has chosen earthly vessels that have just a little left so that when he multiplies his goodness and his love and his mercy, through them, he gets the credit. That's the story of the gospel. And so what I'm going to say to you is learn that you have just a little and come to Jesus with that little. What is your skill? I'm looking at Shane, Shane's shaking his head, yeah. Shane, Shane, Shane's a painter. He's not really a painter. He's an organizer of all painters, right? And, and like, he has done great work uh, through what he does for the glory of God, whether that's helping out with hospitals or, or churches. I mean, you, like, what is, what is the little that you have? What is it? Just identify what, what you're good at. Identify what God has given you and use it to glorify God, right? Whatever that is. Whatever that is, bring our little. Second thing I think this story challenges us to do is uh, to believe in Jesus, right? God's true provision for life. And so uh, verse 29, the crowd asked in verse 28, what can we do to perform the works of God? Uh, they ask, and Jesus replied, ready, here is the work of God. To believe in the one that he has sent. We're doing this whole study. And I feel like it's every week we're just gonna say this. You need to believe in Jesus. Jesus is the true bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and life. We'll get there, right? He's the one that 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 brings you into spiritual life. And if you were to die apart from that, you, you don't you don't have that. And 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 so yeah, I I got to teach the youth this week. Ryan was out sick, and we we're walking through uh, the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter five, and the whole theme of Galatians is is grace. We're freed by grace, right? And the reason we need to talk about grace is because every other religion in the world is about what you do. It's about works, right? We like that, don't we? That's what I want. I want to come to church and I want my one, two, three list. What do I need to do? You tell me what to do this week, pastor. If I can check those things off, I'm going to feel good about myself. Ready? Here's here's probably the biggest one on the list. You got to believe in Jesus. That's what you have to do. That's your work. That's the requirement. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you are you are God. I believe that you stepped out of heaven and into humanity. I believe that you did what I couldn't do by living the perfect life that the law demands. I believe that you died in my place because I had sinned, and I had a great debt payment to my sin. And so you took my sin upon yourself, even though you were, you were perfect, and you died in my place. You paid my debt, and then you conquered death, the death that I deserved, so that I could have life through your name. I just believe that. I, I, I'm dumb enough to, to believe, God, that, that on my own, I'm a wreck and a mess because I've been there and I've tried it and it's not good. And I need you, God. I believe that. I mean, we just have to believe in Jesus, that he is who God says he is. And if you're here today and you've never done that, man, it is not, um, it's not difficult, but it's costly. It's costly. I mean, we talk about free grace. I said this last week. Um, uh, no gift is really free. It costs the giver quite a bit. And it will cost you something. You will have to receive it. And to receive Jesus, you have to give up all that shame. You have to give up all that fear. You have to give up all that past. You say, okay, here it is. I'm done with me. I'm done with who I am. I'm going to receive your life. I'm going to become new. That's how you become new, okay? Last thing I'll share with you is this. Uh, I think this uh, is a challenge for us to share our story. You know, every week I've come back with the same thing. I, I, I try to put this in almost every week. Uh, here's the question. I, I think if you're in a small group, you might want to ask tonight, right? How have you seen Jesus take what little you bring and multiply? Do you have a testimony about that? <laughs> have a testimony about how God has taken your very little and just taken it and used it for great things? Bring people into his kingdom, bless somebody, right? So, so here's your homework. Go share your story with somebody this week. If you're not in a small group, Uh, Share it with your family. Share it with a friend. Go walk across the street when we're done to one of these houses and go tell them. Share your story about God's goodness. Listen, not everybody's called to be an evangelist. That's That's actually a gifting of the spirit. That's a spiritual gift, evangelism. Not everybody has it. In fact, most people don't have it. But everybody is called to be a witness. This week, I pray you would share your story with at least one person, all right? Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your goodness and your your grace. Um, Thank you for your word, which is sufficient. I pray this morning that you've spoken to our hearts, you've pricked our hearts, you've called us um, into action. And Lord, I pray that uh, this truth, that you are a God who can do a lot with our little, will just sit with us all week long. God, help us, give us spiritual eyes to see that we do have just a little, right? Not that we be proud and think that we have too much, but also not that we be so afraid that we have so little that we not approach your throne with confidence. God, because we're yours, your children, we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence and we can always offer up our little so that you can make much of your son, Jesus. God, would you do that in our lives this week? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.